Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. Well, good morning. I still have like uh, seven minutes before it's noon, so good morning. Good to see all of you. Is it good to be seen? How many of you are glad that fall has fallen? How many of you are already missing summer? Amen. Yeah, yeah. You want to cause a church split, just uh, make people choose seasons. You ever notice that? It's weird. So it's uh, really good to be with you this morning, and I, I have a word that I want to share with you that, um, that I, I really feel like the Lord dropped in my heart about a week and a half ago, and uh, so I'm going to be sharing it with you. It's going to continue the series we've been doing called Ears to Hear. We're doing a series on hearing God's voice. And uh, my message today, if you're taking notes, if you're one of those people that takes notes, is when things look bad... God takes you higher. When things look bad, God takes you higher. So the message I have for you today is going to start out kind of heavy. I'm going to go down a road that takes us into some darkness before we go into the light. And it's a word for our church, but really this is a word that I feel like I could speak at any church and any gathering of people in this country, and I believe it would be relevant. It's a word for people who are moving forward toward their future, while great uncertainty looms over the horizon. It's a word for people who see the evil around them and the shaking going on globally and within our, our country and are asking questions like, how should I respond or how do I live in light of what's going on in the world? As you will see from the text that I'm going to choose from here, that I've chosen from, is that when we go into dark places as, as a culture. God's desire for us is that we would see from his perspective, that he would, he would be able to take us into a higher place, that we might see the way he sees and respond the way that he wants us to respond. I'm going to be sharing with you today a message from the book of, it's an Old Testament book, a really small little book, maybe you've never even read it. It's called Habakkuk. And Habakkuk is what we call a minor prophet. And he lived about anywhere from 20 to 40 years before Judah, where Jerusalem was, fell to the Babylonian army. And so he lived during a time when things were over the horizon that were very dark. And he takes his complaint to God. It's a small book. It's only three chapters long. And, it's, and, and, and what's interesting is he's a prophet, but he never gives a word to the nation. What he really does is he complains to God and he brings to God his concerns. And God answers him and tells him what he's going to do. And then his response to those answers ends in a song, a prayer to God. And in that song and that prayer is where we start today. We actually start with the last three verses at the very end of the book from the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. This is in the New Living Translation. I want you to see it. You might say that's kind of a weird text. I'm going to explain it, okay? We'll get into it. We'll kind of open up the text of Scripture. But look what it says. It says, even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet, yet, one of the most important words in the whole of Scripture, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. 
I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. And then this is important too for the choir director. This prayer is to be accompanied by stringed instruments. So what's he telling us? At the end of chapter 3, the entire chapter almost is a prayer and a song. And at the end of it, he says, listen, when this is read, when this is shared with the, the people of God, it's to be shared with music. It was actually like a song, a song that was to be sung of the greatness of God and the victory of God. But it ends with him looking out at all the negative possibilities of all these things are going wrong and all these things are happening, my response will be to rejoice in the Lord. And so I want to I give you a little bit of background to this section of Scripture because I think it's important for us to understand the text in the context. Okay, that's a principle when we read the Bible. People do this all the time. They'll take a, a Bible scripture, a particular text, and they'll quote it. They'll put it up on the refrigerator. They'll put it in a bumper sticker. They'll have it, you know, somewhere around their house. They'll take one particular text of scripture, and they'll kind of make it a promise. But many times, we'll miss the actual promises of God if we take a text out of context, and we don't understand it in its original setting. So when we, whenever we look at the Bible, we want to understand it first in its original setting, that's called interpretation, and then we want to do what's known as application. We want to take it and we want to apply it to where we live so that we can actually make the Bible relevant to today, right? We want to apply what's been interpreted. So we interpret the text, then we apply the text. Sometimes we illustrate the text, and that is we, we come up with a story that illustrates the truth of it. So that's what we're going to look at today, and I want you to think about this. Use your holy imagination. Any of you in this room have a holy imagination? Some of you, I know you have an unholy imagination, but God will touch your imagination, okay? But let's pray for the Lord to give us a holy imagination, and I want you to kind of time travel with me. We're going to go back in time. We're going to go back in time about 2,600 years, okay? And I want you to think about this. Imagine a world where there were many international crises happening while you watch your own nation torn apart by evil, immorality, and division. Imagine a world where a new superpower with a desire for conquest is emerging right over the horizon while you watch your own great nation grow weaker from internal corruption. Imagine a world where you were really concerned for your future, your family's future, and your nation's future. Imagine a world where you grieve about all of these things and you ask God, why are you allowing such evil to happen? Why won't you intervene and deal with this injustice, this oppression, this deception, and this suffering? Imagine that world. It's not hard, is it? Wait, that's the world you live in. And that is exactly the world that Habakkuk lived in. You could almost take the book of Habakkuk and lay it over our time and it would apply directly because those are the exact circumstances that were happening in the world at the time of Habakkuk. So I'm going to take you quickly through the entire book. We're not going to read it all, but I just want you to see a couple of highlights. First of all, in chapter 1, the prophet complains to God. He's praying to God and he complains to God about all the evil happening in his nation and time. You can see his complaint in uh, chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Look at it with me. He says, How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you don't listen? Violence is everywhere. 
I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. Well, that sounds like Facebook. The law has become paralyzed and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice has become perverted. And then next in chapter 1, God answers Habakkuk. And here's his answer. And by the way, when you ask those kinds of questions, you better be ready sometimes to get some pretty scary answers. So God answers Habakkuk and this is what he tells him. He says, there's a nation arising. There's a nation coming, it's over the horizon. It's an evil nation, a powerful nation, a military superpower, it's called Babylon. And the Babylonians are going to rise and I'm going to use them, even though they're evil, I'm going to use them to discipline my own nation and my own people because they've turned their backs on me. And this Babylon is Israel's nemesis throughout the Bible. You see it in the book of Genesis when the Tower of Babel is erected. The Tower of Babel becomes a type throughout the entirety of Scripture of a people opposed to God, a people trying to set themselves up as God. And that's the story of the entire Bible. Genesis to Revelation, Babylon arises over and over again. This people who are in opposition to the people of God. The people of God are represented in, it, in, the, in the city of Jerusalem. And then you have Babylon. You have Babylon, you have Israel. You have Babylon, you have Jerusalem. You have these two... Uh, empires, as it were. One is the people of God and one is a system, the world system, an entire, um, an entire organized evil against God that sets itself up as God. Okay, so Babylon's rising over the horizon, but really Habakkuk's main problem is not with Babylon, but it's with his own people. He's looking around and he sees all this evil going on and then God says, I'm going to deal with it, son. And let me tell you how I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to bring the very enemies of my people, and I'm going to use them to bring judgment upon my own people. Well, then you can imagine Habakkuk has another complaint. He complains. He says, Babylon, Lord, Babylon is evil. They're more evil than we are. They're wicked. They're wicked, wicked, wicked. You can't let the Babylonians judge us. You can't do that to us. And and, and he, he cries out to God. He asks God to speak to him. In Habakkuk chapter, one verse, chapter 2, verse 1, he says this, I will climb up to my watchtower, and I will stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. Now, at that time in Israel and in all the nations of the world, they had what they called watchmen. And these watchmen would go up to the highest places on the city walls, and their job, and you know, they, were, they each had different shifts, they would be there all night, all day, 24-7. They would have different shifts come on. And all they would do is stand. They were the ones who had the best eyes. And they would stand on the towers and they would watch for invading armies. And they would watch for anything coming over the horizon. Not just human armies, but locusts and other things. They could prepare the city for what was to come. He's saying spiritually, I'm a watchman for the nation. And I'm looking out over the horizon and this is what I see. And oh Lord, don't let it be Babylon. Babylon's e evil. And then God answers him. And he says, don't worry, son. I'm going to deal with Babylon as well. I'm going to bring their power down. I'm going to judge them for all the terrible things they've done to my people and all the other nations of the world. They'll be destroyed. Babylon will have an end brought to them. So he's faithful to deal with Babylon. And then in chapter 3, after Habakkuk sees all of this, he writes this song. 
he breaks into this song, and this song is all about God coming like a mighty warrior. And you, when you see the language in the third chapter, you know, he's talking about how when the Lord goes, there's a, a plague, I think he says a plague before him and, and destruction behind him, and God is just like, you know, this, this incredible being that's bringing judgment on the earth, and he's dealing with the evil kingdom of Babylon. And that takes us to the text that we're going to really talk about today. And I want to show you how it really speaks to our time. So, um, as you know, sometimes the present and the future can look pretty dark. And that's what we see right now. Many, many of God's people that I know, many Christians are pretty anxious about the future, anxious about tomorrow, anxious about what we see in our country, right? It seems like Things are falling. Things are coming down. It seems like evil is winning the day, right? And then we look out over the horizon, and if you're, into, if you're into any kind of geopolitics, if you know anything about what's going on in the world, there are other powers rising. There are other powers with maybe not the greatest motives, and, and, and we just, it just seems like we're in a time of a perfect storm. And of course, the way Christians default whenever they see bad things happening in the world is we immediately default to, this must be it, this is the end times, this must be, Jesus is about to come, and that may be true, but the reality is, is this is what's happened all through history. This is what happens to empires and kingdoms. This is what happens when, when nations become proud and arrogant and they think God's with us and not with anybody else, and they depart from God and they do their own thing. This is what happens. This is the way of kingdoms and nations. May the Lord have mercy on us, amen? May he give us a revival. So let's go back and read the text now. I've given you all of the context, and I'm, I'm taking you now to the very end, and this is how Habakkuk ends his book. He says, Even though the fig trees have no blossoms, and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights for the choir director. This prayer is accompanied by stringed instruments. Let's break this down. There's a progression here, and I want you to notice it. It's a progression from luxuries and things that we have for pleasure and celebration and enjoyment all the way to the very needs of life. And so the first thing is he says, even though the fig trees have no blossoms, figs in that culture were dessert. They're for pure enjoyment, for celebration times, for feasts, right? They were times to kick back. They were kind of like the pie or the cake or the ice cream of the time. Some translations say, and it says here, even though the fig trees have no blossoms, and what does that mean? That means there's no future joy, no future celebration. So it's like he's saying, listen, even if it looks like we're never going to have another party, I'm going to praise the Lord. And then he says, the grapevines have no grapes. Grapes were used for wine, wine for enjoyment, for celebration, for feasts, for wedding. They were also just to be enjoyed off the vine, right? Grapes were used in that culture like they are now. They were primarily celebratory. They were primarily for times of pleasure and times of joy. And he's saying, but they're not quite a necessity, but they represent that, that time of being under the favor of God, the smile of God. Right? And he's saying, look, your future is going to lack joy and celebration. Even if, there's, there's, even if there's no future, even if there's no, it seems there's no future, it seems there's no joy, there's no celebration, and then he says, the olive trees have no olive oil. Olives and olive oil were a part of every meal. 
and a part of daily life in Israel. They still are to this day. Olive oil was used for most of the cooking and for the body like a lotion. It was very important, not necessary for survival, but now we're getting down to those things which are necessities for daily living. And then he says, and if the wheat and the barley, the fields, have no grains, now we're getting down to necessities. Grains were necessary for the very staples of life like bread. If the grains failed, starvation was not far away. What's he saying here? Even, even if we get to the point to where we don't even know how we're going to get our next daily bread. Jesus said, pray, give us this day our daily bread, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, right? So he's saying, even if we don't have our daily bread. And then he says, and the sheep flocks die in the field. If your sheep were dying in the field, Famine and starvation were at hand and things were really, really bad. Your sacrifices would also cease. So it's, it's like it's represented, representative of, of spiritual life, church life, and physical life is now struggling. Whoa. And then he says, the cattle barns are empty, even if the cattle barns are empty. Cattle were primarily used for work in that culture and for plowing. If the barns were empty, there could be no planting, no future, no seeming hope. Some were also used for sacrifices. So at this stage, it's got as bad as it can be. If you can't even plow your fields because all your cattle are dead, now we've really got a problem. There's no sheep left. So what's he saying? If things get really, really, really dark and really bad, here's my response. What's his response? What do you do when things look dark? What do you do when things look dark? When you look over the horizon, because you have to remember, He's, he's looking out in the future some, and he sees what's coming. His nation has already faced Assyria. The kingdom of Assyria has already come to invade them, and God supernaturally delivered them and sent them home, and they experienced a great defeat in battle, not at the hands of, of Israel, not at the hands of Judah, but at the hands of God, literally. So they've experienced God's deliverance already, but the people didn't turn back to the Lord. They continued to, to walk away from him. So the prophet is looking out over the future and he's saying, oh my goodness, look at what's over the horizon. What do we do? What's my response? And I guess, I guess the question I'm asking you is, what is your response if things get bad? What's your response going to be if things go south? How are you going to respond to the Lord? in life. Because I'm going to tell you something I'm really concerned about. I look at a lot of God's people, and because we're not rooted and grounded in Scripture, we're not rooted and grounded in really knowing Jesus Christ, and we're being moved by all the media, both social media and mainstream media and alternate sources of media, and we're out there in the internet world getting taking in all kinds of information, but we don't know what God has to say, and we're not listening to His sound and not listening to His voice. The main thing that's taking a hold of us is fear and anxiety. And so what happens when we're facing the potential of a dark future? What do we do? Well, Habakkuk gives us one of the most beautiful responses in the whole of Scripture. He starts with these words. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Come on, somebody. I know, I got you all serious. Now we're, gonna, we're going to the good places now. We're going to go higher. I took you low. We're going to go high. 
Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. This is an ironic word, rejoice here, because it's a word that means to jump for joy in triumph as though you've just won a battle. It's to celebrate and to exalt, to be joyful and triumphant. It's a word that's used when you've come home from a battle and you've won. And it's like you're, you're, go, you're coming into the city and your family sees you and you're still alive, right? And they're all, yes, yes, here comes dad. He's alive, he made it. And everybody begins to rejoice because you didn't just make it, but you won. So he says, yet, look, yet will I act like the victory's already won. Yet will I begin to rejoice as though it's a finished work. Yet I will celebrate as though God has already taken care of all my fears and anxieties. That's what he's saying. And then he doubles up or doubles down. He says, I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. This word joyful, the first meant to jump, right? This word joyful here, go look it up. Do a word study if you don't believe me. Means to spin and shout with great emotion. To shout with joy in the God who rescues. That's what God of my salvation means. That, that Hebrew word salvation is the same root word where we get the name of Jesus, Yeshua. Yet will I be joyful and jump and spin in the God who rescues, the God who saves. That's what salvation is. Salvation is to rescue, to deliver, to literally take out of the jaws of the lion's mouth, to bring victory over a superior and stronger enemy. He's saying, yet I'm going to rejoice and I'm going to celebrate and I'm going to be joyful in this God who is my saving power. Wow. So, he's told us what our response is to be. Right? First we see what's coming. <laughs> what do I do? Celebrate. Think about it. What a, that's so antithetical to natural human nature. Natural human nature says, ooh, I see it coming. I'm not going down. They are. Get your guns. Get all gathered up. Hunker down take a siege mentality, and start killing people. That's in human nature, right? We are going to protect ourselves. We're going to take care of ourselves. But Jesus came with a different message. Jesus didn't come with a message of self-preservation. He said he who seeks to save his life will lose it, but he who loses his life for my sake will find it. The gospel is about giving your life for the sake of others. Right? So instead of running away from the storm, we run into it. And instead of seeing the other as an enemy that needs to be destroyed, we see the other as someone that Jesus died for that needs to be rescued. Instead of running from and hunkering down, we run to the very ones who oppose us and show them the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. We rejoice in the God of our salvation. He's not just the God of our salvation. He's the God of the salvation of the world. Did Jesus just die for us? Who else did he give his life for? Did he give his life for your neighbors? Did he give his life for those who think differently from you, look differently from you, live differently from you, act differently from you? Did Jesus Christ die for them or not? Wow, a lot of you are not giving me an answer. 
I'm concerned for you. And then he does something that's beautiful. He starts out with out there, the gathering darkness. And then he goes to my response is to rejoice. And then he ends with what God does. And this is where it gets really beautiful. He ends with the God part. Because in this relationship we have with God, have with God there's always this equation, right? We ask ourselves all the time, what's my part and what's God's part? What is He going to do? What do I do? Right? So what we do, this is a great example of what we do. We rejoice. We take joy. We trust in the God of our salvation. Earlier in the book, in the second chapter, Habakkuk gives us one of the greatest quotes in the whole of Scripture. The very quote that Martin Luther, you might not know this, but today, a lot of us think today is Halloween, but you know what today really is? It's Reformation Day. And this is the day in 1517 where Martin Luther, the Catholic priest who began to recognize the corruption of the church, wrote a thing, a, a big um, series of charges against the church's false doctrine called the 95 Theses, and he wrote them all down, and then he went to the door of the Wittenberg Cathedral in Germany, and he nailed it to the door, and that started what is known as the Reformation all around the world. It changed all of Europe. And he quoted from the book of Habakkuk where Paul quotes in the New Testament, and this is what he says, the just or the righteous shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. So here's, here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, in times of gathering darkness, what do you do? You live by faith. What is faith? Trust like a child in God. Trust that He'll take care of us. Trust that He's our Savior and our Master, our King and our Provider. He'll be our all in all. Am I talking to anybody today? Y'all need to help me preach better. Come on, give me an amen or something every once in a while. Help a man out. Lord Jesus, help me. So what does God do? God's part is He makes us tread on high places. What's it say in the text? First, He says this, the sovereign Lord is my strength. Sovereign Lord. What is the sovereign? The sovereign is the king over all. God is king over all. Let me, let, me just, let me just encourage you with something, Christians. Let's, let's test what we really believe. When Jesus ascended to heaven, he gathered his disciples around him. Some scholars say there were 500 people on that mountain. And he said this, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. You go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe or obey everything I've commanded you and I'll be with you to the very end of the age. Matthew 28, 18, 19, and 20. He says that. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now you go with my authority and you make apprentices, disciples, students of me. You go and do that. Make sure you baptize them properly in that process and teach them my ways and I'm gonna be with you in it. You're never going to have to do it alone. I'm going to be with you in it, right? Well, he starts out by saying that all the authority that exists in the heavens, principalities and powers, fallen spirits, fallen angels, true angels, all the powers of the heavens and all the powers on earth, all the governments, all the authorities, all the congresses, all the presidents, all the supreme courts, every authority on planet earth is under his sovereign rule. And those authorities who abuse their authority or deceive with their authority or lie with their authority will be held to account by the sovereign, but he's still the sovereign. And the scripture says he sets up whom he will and he brings down whom he will. 
So many times things happen within our society that we don't understand and they look bad, they look evil and they don't seem right and some, some feel like they're not legitimate but the ultimate authority that allowed it all to happen is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ rules and reigns in the affairs of men and it's His, He's the sovereign Lord. He's overall. He's the only sovereign. No other kingdom is sovereign. He is sovereign. Am I talking to anybody? So he says this. Now, this is powerful. He says, the sovereign Lord gives me strength. What's he saying? My strength comes from knowing that you're ultimately in charge. You rule and you reign and you're going to deal with evil. You're not going to let it go forever. You may be patient. You may be kind. You may give people a long time to turn away and to repent, but eventually you're going to bring it down. I trust you. My strength's going to come from you. It's not going to come from my circumstances. It's not going to come because things didn't go the way I wanted them to. It's not going to come because I'm disappointed in our electoral process. Whatever it may be, it's going to come because I trust and I gain my strength from the sovereign Lord. And then he says this, he makes me as sure-footed as a deer. Now, I remember the first time I read this text, it seemed like that verse was, was like, that doesn't make sense. Your sovereign Lord is my strength. And then he says, and old, older translation, say, he gives me hinds feet on high places. I thought, that sounds sweet. No, it doesn't. When you really begin to understand in the Middle East, you have, you know, these mountains and these crags and these cliffs, and you have these deer that are in that part of the world that just kind of walk along these high places, right on these ledges and these edges, over stones and dangerous places. And what's he saying? I'm going to give you the ability in the middle of all the darkness that's happening, in the gathering valley below, all the things in front of you that give you anxiety and fear, I'm going to give you the ability to leap on them, to tread on them, and to go higher. Because this is a time we have to go higher, people. This is a time like never before. We must go into higher places so we can see as God sees. Our perspective must change. If we continue to stay down here and view with the perspective of the age that we live in and only look at things through Fox and CNN and any other place you go on the internet, if those become our places to gather truth, we're only going to see the darkness in the valley. We're only going to see the evil that's in front of us. But if we allow the Lord to take us higher like deer with sure-footedness, we can count on it. We know we're going to see the way God wants us to see and we're going to have his perspective and his perspective is always different. Why? Because he's above it all. That's what he's saying. You'll make me. You'll make me as sure-footed as a deer. Why? Because right now, I don't know about you, but there have been times the last couple years where I feel like the ground is shaky, where I'm like, oh man, I don't know. That looks like I'm walking along an edge, a ledge, and it looks like I'm going to fall. It looks like our country's going to fall. It looks like many of the people we love, they're going off the deep end. Why be afraid? Right? I've been given a different set of feet. He's made me sure-footed so I can tread on high places. And that's how he ends it. He says, it's, it's really profound. You have this entire... You have... <laughs> You have this entire book where he's looking at the darkness to come, and yet how does he end? He ends with the fact that I'll be in the high places. And here's what's really cool. It's a song. So he's saying we can have the ability to sing over it all. 
and through it all. And what's our song? Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in the God of my salvation. Right? The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as the deer. He makes me to tread upon high places. Yes, to tread upon high places. Yes, to tread upon high places. He makes us tread upon high places. And that lifts us where we need to be, where we can see the way He wants us to see. Because right now, some of us, we're not seeing right. We've been blinded, not by the light, but by the darkness. And we're living in fear and anxiety. The Lord wants to lift us up. Now listen, let me be clear. When you get lifted up, it doesn't, when you get lifted up by the Lord, it doesn't mean you're not going to experience suffering or difficulty or hardship. It just means that God's going to lift you into high places and give you the ability to know how to see it the way He sees it and respond the way He wants you to respond. So how many of you know the right response is rejoice? Come on, can I get a rejoice from anybody? How about a joyful in the God of our salvation? Because He's going to make us as sure-footed as a deer, and He's going to make us to tread upon high places. He'll enable us to go above the struggles around us and to climb sure-footed upon the high places of His presence. He'll give us the strength to walk into high places with Him and see His saving power overcome every obstacle. And even in death, we will overcome in Jesus our conqueror. We are with Him in the heavenly places. I know it's so stereotypical. I know it's almost a, a little kitschy. But I read the back of the book, and he and we win. I have attached my train to him, right? He is king, and he is Lord, and he overcomes all. And we can trust him, and rely on him, and hope in him, because he's faithful, and he's true, and he loves us, and he gave it all for us. Amen? Stand with me. I think I just preached myself happy. Hopefully I preached you happy too. Let me ask you a question. Did, did any of you, be, be honest with me. We can be honest, right? We can be transparent. Did any of you feel today as I was sharing with you, because it's God's word, did you, any of you feel like the Lord kind of came into your thoughts or into your heart and kind of adjusted something inside of you? and kind of lifted you and caused you to go, oh, there it is. Can we thank God for that? Because I feel like that's a gift. Can we rejoice in that, right? Come on. Let's rejoice in Him. Thank you, Lord. You know, I didn't tell you this, but th I was having a morning down here at the church. I was by myself down here, and I was doing my morning devotional time. And this was my, my text of Scripture. I came to the book of Habakkuk, and I just felt like I needed to read the whole book. It's only three chapters. It's real short. And so I read through it. And I read through it again. And, and I just felt like the Lord dropped this in my heart and said, this is for you. This is for now. This is for my church. It was prophetic. It was like a word of the Lord for us in the time we live. And it showed me how much He, he loves us. Felt like He wanted me to preach hope into you. Right? It looks dark but there's hope. 
we can rejoice. He's faithful. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you. May the Lord be gracious to you and lift up his countenance, his face upon you and give you shalom. The Lord bless you. The Lord be with you. If God be for you, who can be against you? Amen? God bless you. Go with God and he goes with you. Thank you for coming today.